Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Hey, folks, before we get into our segment on YouTube with Ed Lawrence, we want to let you know that today is the last day to save on your ticket to the Instagram Marketing Summit. You do not want to miss this. If you need to improve your reach, your engagement, and sales with Instagram, then you want to be in on this live online event, you can join 12 Instagram experts as they show you proven strategies to take your marketing to the next level. And there's not really much time left, so you want to sign up today. The Instagram Marketing Summit starts on Monday, July 13th. You can find out more at socialmediaexaminer.com forward slash summit. That's socialmediaexaminer.com forward slash summit. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Talk Show, your guide to the ever-changing world of social media. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Jeff C. And I'm Grace Duffy. And we are excited to be joined today by Ed Lawrence, and we're going to explore YouTube's new analytics overview summary, insights to video distribution, and updates to ads. And later in the show, we're going to welcome Susan Winograd, and we are going to talk about the impacts of the California Consumer Privacy Act have had on Facebook and Instagram ad targeting. And spoiler alert, you want to stick around. It's not good. So (laughs) we'll take it away, Ed. (laughs) Yeah. So if you don't know Ed, he is the co-founder and director of Business Film Booth, an uncorporate video production company that specializes in helping businesses communicate with video. And he has produced, get this, over 10,000 videos for business and brands. That's a lot of videos, folks. So, Ed, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah. So, we got some exciting, a ton of YouTube stuff to cover today. So, Grace, kick us off with some of this new news that we have. Yeah, absolutely. So, back in June, YouTube launched a series called How YouTube Works, and it was a series of explainer videos going into all this information about the various platform policies and transparency into its process. It addressed things like child privacy, handling misinformation, content, copyright issues. The focus of this series is very much on the YouTube consumer, the people that are watching it. And if you're interested in this, it's on the official YouTube blog, and it is called How YouTube Works. Very straightforward. Google is the leader of uh, search for a reason, right? So uh, meanwhile, this week, uh, the company also released a new video on its Creator Insider channel. If you don't know what that is, it is their video hub where they release all the uh, new products, updates, tips, tools, all that stuff. And it's all for their video creators. So this particular video that they rolled out this week really dives into... Uh, the analytics and common questions about the YouTube algorithm and then common questions people have about how two key metrics tie into that, the click-through rate and then the average viewer uh, duration. So they had two of their very brilliant product managers, Patricia, which is a who is a product manager focused on analytics. And then they had Rachel, who focuses on analytics and content surfacing, answer some of these ads. And the videos, of course, focus specifically on how these two metrics 
factor into the YouTube algorithm for video uh, distribution and then also how they rank performance. So Ed, you create videos professionally for businesses and brands. Can you tell us in very simple terms, like how the YouTube algorithm factors in click-through rate and average duration and video distribution performance in the videos that you produce. Yeah, sure. So it's probably best just to sum up what click-through rate and average view duration are first. So in its simplest form, click-through rate is the amount of time someone clicks on your video when YouTube shows it to them. So you have impressions, so you release on YouTube video and it might go out to on the homepage or in suggested views. And if it goes out to 100 people, and 100 people have a chance to click on it in 10 do, you've got a click-through rate of 10%. So the reason that's important is because it tells YouTube that the topic and the title of the video are of interest to people. But also the thumbnail comes into play here as well. So you, if you've got a really good looking thumbnail and it ties in with your title and your topic, you're more likely to get more clicks. So, you know, YouTube wants to show the best content stuff that's really relevant to people and of interest. So you want to get a high click-through rate on your videos. The other side of that is kind of once you've got past the click, and that's the average viewer duration. And that is how long someone watches your video for. So there's the kind of retention side of things, which is if a video is two minutes long and someone watches a minute, that's 50% of viewer duration. Um, but there's also watch time as well that comes into play. And they want to see long watch times and high average viewer durations. So the higher this average viewer duration number is, the better. So people click on your video, they watch it for a long time. That tells YouTube it's very good content. Now you tend to find on YouTube, there isn't really a kind of set average viewer duration average. I've read things before that said it's between 27 to 30%, which is quite specific. Um, but the higher you can get this number and the higher you can get your click-through rate, the more YouTube will show content to other people. So that's why it's important. Awesome. Very, very cool. So recently, they YouTube debuted a new analytics insight display, which showed this, you know, the click-through rate and the average duration. And Social Media Today notes in this new analytics report, it's designed to help creators better understand where their views are coming from and how they can maximize each of their videos' performance. So what is new and remarkable? I mean, we've had some the stats before, but what is this new and remarkable about this new display that they're touting so much? I think... You know, YouTube is full of creatives and creative people don't necessarily want to look at numbers depending right. on their personality right. type. Yeah. So I'm kind of odd. I don't know if you guys have ever done like personality profiling. One I've done, I fit into a, a creator and a mechanic. So I like <laughs> making stuff and then I like analyzing it afterwards. It gives me a kick. It's quite rare. So most people on YouTube don't really want to dive in. It's overwhelming. There's a ton of stuff back there. It's like, what does this even mean? There's graphs. What they've really done is just simplified it and gone, this is the stuff that really matters, and here's a nice visual way of showing it. So they haven't really rolled this out across, well, I haven't seen anyone else apart from Creator Insider show the picture for mm -hmm. a split second on screen. But I can summarize it up to what it looks like. So I've got it in front of me. Um, let's just say you, you release a video, you go into your YouTube studio, you click on analytics, and straight away on the overview section, what you've got is these three bars. So the top bar is click-through rate and it's gray, and then there's a blue bit in the middle. And mm -hmm. the blue bit in the middle says 3% to 4%. And that will be saying that is the typical click-through rate on this type of content. And then there'll be a blue dot, and it will say yours is at 6%. So you can see that yours quite easily is outperforming the typical click-through rate, or you're underperforming, or you're right slap bang in the middle. 
And it's the same for average view duration. Below that, there's another bar, and it will show you the typical view duration and where you sit. And then below that, there's another bar, and it says views from home and suggested. And it will say, you know, the typical video, it's 500 to 1.2 thousand. Mm -hmm. This one's got 1.6. So what's great about this is you can quickly hop in and go, okay, my average view duration is doing really well on this video, which means I should be getting suggested more by YouTube, but I'm not. And quite clearly from this, it's because my click-through rate is far too low and it might be not performing well enough or too low down mm -hmm. the average. So you can go in, adjust the thumbnail, adjust the topic, tweak it slightly so that your content can potentially get more views. And so I, I think that's why it's great. They've really just taken the important parts and gone, look, there's all this data. You're probably not going to look at it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, just look at this bit and we'll make right. it as easy as possible. So I think that's, it's great. And uh, for anyone who doesn't you know, get a kick out of analytics like me, <laughs> this, this, is, this is all you need. I'm not going to look at it because I like to go deep. Um, so that, that's what's quite remarkable about it, really. You kind of mentioned a little bit about how uh, marketers and creators can use that data to shape their YouTube strategy. So you kind of mentioned like, okay, you can go back. If you see that number is low, you can kind of tweak the thumbnail or something like that. But looking at data that you've already done, how can that, I mean, inform you for like videos that you want to create, you know, later on? So let's say that, you know, it was really, really low compared to everybody else's. Like a new creator, I mean, that's like, okay, great. I see that I, I suck. But what do I what do I do to make it better? I mean, so what are some examples or advice you can give people who who see that? How can this data you know kind of inform them creating new videos? I guess you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's, it's a nice way of telling people that they maybe suck right, right. <laughs> without them having to ha you know have an awkward conversation with their friends and family. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, it is just that reacting to it. So if your viewer duration is high, it's an easy fix. You can go and change your title, mm -hmm. you know, inside YouTube, you don't have to delete anything. If you're looking at it and going, you know, I'm consistently getting bad viewer durations, you need to look at your content. So first thing is, you know, how can I make this better? Look at what the people who are ranking for your topics are doing and try and emulate it or go further past that point. So it should help people if they're looking at it, you know, mm -hmm. work out what you've just said. But I know it works because I've, I, I did it the long way and downloaded, made a massive spreadsheet of all the videos on my YouTube channel that had high average viewer duration percentage, um, but weren't ranking. Mm -hmm. And I went through and changed all the titles and thumbnails of the ones that had the potential to rank um, this is about six months ago, right. uh, and changed them all. And sure enough, six months later, I'm actually starting to see some of these videos move up the ranks. And all I did was change the thumbnail and the title because they weren't quite right. So you can do it now without this, but I think it's just going to give people more of a chance to realize it without having to set up an epic spreadsheet like I did. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of it was just playing with that SEO and the searchability, right. right? And the and the discoverability. So in this Creator Insider video, they also talk about the discrepancy between having a high average viewer duration. So, you know, you look at your videos and the ones that have the most successful uh, views or that watch the most, sometimes they have the lowest click-through rate, right? So, and they even said that it's most likely that they'll have the lowest click-through rates. Can you explain why this is? Because it seems to follow that if you, you know, if you're looking at this as a numbers game, right, that that more views will equal more click-through rates, but we're, they're actually saying, this is YouTube is saying it, they're seeing the reverse where the most popular videos that are being seen by the largest amount of people aren't getting enough click-through rates or aren't getting the best click-through rates, I should say. Yeah, that's right. So it goes down to kind of 
going out to a broader audience. Let's say you're in a marching band and you go to the national marching band final and everyone there is interested in marching bands. So they sit there and they watch you. Yeah, when you go to the Super Bowl, you're not guaranteed that 100,000 people are going to keep their eyes on you. They get it put out in front of them, but they don't have that same level of interest. So what happens here with YouTube is you've got a video that they deem to be good enough to push to a broader audience. And, you know, that audience will have showed some sort of interest in that topic at some point, potentially. Mm -hmm. um, but they'll push it out. They go, this is good. And then what happens is the click-through rate comes down because they show it to so many more people. There is just less interest because it, it leaves that super targeted niche that you've got in there. Um, so it's, it's not a bad thing, you know, at all. If you can maintain a high click-through rate and get loads more impressions, it's amazing. You're just going to keep growing. But, you know, it's pretty rare that that will happen. It might happen with an entertainment and that's basically going okay. super viral. Gotcha. So is there, because YouTube has said, you know, that some of your smaller videos are, are shown to really relevant, small targeted audiences, and they're the most likely to click. So those will have that really high click-through rate. But is there any way with your crystal ball uh, to ensure <laughs> both a large distribution and increased click-through rate. In other words, can you get a large and relevant targeted audience to see your videos and then convert? I mean, it's, I guess that's what everybody's going for, but do you have like just some tips that, you know, it yeah. might help get your, your video seen organically, I guess? I think um, actually lockdown has been a great example of this. So if you look at trends that maybe go slightly broader than your initial audience, so mm -hmm. let's say, for example, pre-lockdown, Zoom, you know, not many people were using it. Well, that's not fair. A lot of businesses were, but it wasn't a household name. Right. So if you made a video about Zoom at the start of lockdown, suddenly there's loads more search interest coming. And as a result of that, you get, you know, your Zoom video would go out to a significantly larger audience than it would have done pre-lockdown because more people are interest, uh, have interest in it. So using a tool like Google Trends, um, it's really good for trying to find trends within your niche that might suddenly peak. Mm. So you can go on there, you can type in your topic, it will show you other uh, suggestions. And you can do this specifically for YouTube in there as well. And that will help you target things more people are interested in sort of right now. But it doesn't necessarily mean that sort of level of interest will stay forever. But it, it's a great way of getting views faster, especially if you can get in early. Because uh, if you can make a video on Zoom before this happens and there's not many, you know, you, you could rank it, but really have a lot of benefit of driving more traffic back to you. Very cool. Very cool. Absolutely. So we focused a lot on click-through rate and average viewer duration. Are there any other metrics that you advise that video creators, video marketers should be keen to observe? Like what else should we be paying attention to when we're looking at our overall performance or looking at improvement? Yeah, okay. Yeah. The problem is, as I said earlier, there's so many of them. Right, right. Everyone's got their favorites. Yeah. <laughs> One of my personal favorites is uh, traffic source. Okay. So it's looking at, you know, the great thing about YouTube is it's got search, suggested views, you've got Google, bloggers can come on and take your content and embed it on a blog. Uh, so there's loads of different ways that you can get views. So time to time, go in and have a look at your traffic source in your YouTube studio. And have a look, you know, so recently uh, a blogger embedded one of my videos on their uh, webpage and it got a sudden spike. Now, it's quite easy to email them, say, thank you very much for doing this. By the way, I noticed you've got another blog on a topic I've got a video on. Would you like to include it? And then build a relationship where they can keep using your content because it kind of only benefits each other. So have a look at Traffic Source. If it's coming from Google... And for our own channel, we tend to find there's a lot of traffic actually comes from Google through the video search. It's a slightly different beast to YouTube. So Google 
is more about short, you know, snappy answers. People like blogs because they can skip to the bit that they want to, you know, the bit of the information in the blog they actually really care about. So when you go on Google now, you'll notice, you know, they're, they're putting videos quite big at the top and they are actually showing you what part of the video is relevant to your search. And it's actually a different strategy to get on Google than it is YouTube. So if you type in something on Google, the video that ranks number one isn't necessarily ranking number one on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So I've got a video that sits as one of those massive images at the top of Google, but right. it's like eighth in YouTube. <laughs> right. And that's, that's because that video has been embedded on people's sites. People link to it quite a lot. And Google's looking a different way. So it's actually a really good way to sort of start getting views to come into your channel. That's why I quite like traffic sources. And I think it's often something that people don't spend enough time looking. And it's also a good networking opportunity too. Awesome. That's a good point. <laughs> so uh, we have a, a, a comment by Donnie over on Facebook. He goes, shorter videos. And that kind of leads to my question. How does the length of video like impact the click-through rate? I mean, is that something that you really have to, you know, if you're only doing three-minute videos, you know, your click-through rate is going to be different from somebody who's maybe doing 10 or 15-minute ones. So should you use those metrics to try to figure out like, okay, I need to make longer videos or shorter videos or whatever? It kind of goes down to search intent. Okay. So like I said with Google, sometimes I don't want to watch a 15-minute video to get my answer. Mm -hmm. So if there's two videos and I want a quick answer and one's called, you know, how to hammer a nail into a wall and the <laughs> other one's called how to hammer a nail into a wall, one's 15 minutes and one's two, I'm going to click on the two-minute one because I want a quick answer. So it actually might increase your click-through rate. Um, so th there's not really, a, you know, a set click-through rate, you know, it, the video length doesn't really impact it in that much other than you can see how long the video is. Mm. And the problem is YouTube likes longer content, which sort of forces people to drag things out a little bit more because you're more likely to rank a video that's 10 minutes than you are that's two. Mm. So that's something else to consider. But, you know, it's, it's kind of how do you present that information so that it matches the search term to not bore people. <laughs> gotcha. you, know, you get to the point and then during that initial bit where you're trying to get to the point you need to produce content that makes them think oh hang on i need to stick around for the rest of this too so i wouldn't say the video length would impact the click through rate so much more the average viewer duration but it's more a first glance thing gotcha sylvia's yeah. saying over on youtube she goes that's great information and so i you're hitting all the right buttons for the oh, length good. of the video yep. here so you're doing great yeah so we even got some more stuff even some more little analytics a little a little bit different but grace uh, break this down for us a little bit this is just a minor update we wanted to bring up it was just it came up this week we want to talk about it so youtube launched a new analytics dashboard for artists called analytics for artists it gives artists, and what I mean is like musical artists, people like Beyonce, people, you know, those big superstars, a more comprehensive and complete view of their audience, global reach and performance across YouTube. You can find more about this on the YouTube studio site. That's studio.youtube.com. They're saying that this is, uh, you know, kind of a hit back at TikTok, right? It's, counter, it's a little bit countering TikTok, right? So YouTube, this is them taking steps, uh, which of course we know that TikTok now is a better place when it comes to viral sharing of videos, right? So especially when it comes to dancing or music or whatever else. And so it's been suggested that YouTube is launching this dashboard as a way to give artists more perspective and into helping them understand how YouTube can fully benefit them as a brand, as distributing their music, as reaching more of their audience. And in, in your opinion, do you think that this will have much of an impact on 
the regular user or the overall YouTube community? Like, do you think this would help us at all in ranking for search if we were to create content that kind of, I don't know, latched onto a lot of this more popular stuff? Um, it's, it's an interesting one, really. So the, the way they've set it up is artists are, so musical artists, are now going to see the metrics of their content in their analytics, but also other people who are using their work in their content. So it's kind of like bringing data in from all over YouTube, which is awesome. Now, it might work in that it spills over to, you know, other uh, channels that, you know, say if Mr. Mr. Beast released something and people are doing reaction videos that they can see that data. And that would be great to have that. What I think is quite cool is it then also shows artists their position in the kind of top 100 charts so they can log into their dashboard and see, oh, okay, I've got a song that's like 20 in the charts, like the traditional music charts. So... That would be cool if it spilled over into sort of regular YouTube because, you know, imagine if you made a video and you can use tools like TubeBuddy at the moment, which will tell you where you rank. But it would be nice to log in and have YouTube say that video is in the top 10, that video is number three, Mm. um, just to help you sort of keep an eye on your content. I like that you've mentioned TikTok here. It kind of feels like all these social media platforms are, it's like YouTube and Instagram is Bruce Willis and they're at a party <laughs> and they're just, they're introducing Ashton Kutcher to Demi Moore for the first time, TikTok being Ashton Kutcher. They're kind of scared yeah. and they're reacting. And I think um, it would be a great place if YouTube suddenly worked out with the, the music companies out there, a similar arrangement to TikTok, because it, it just makes such a big difference when you can have music in your video that people love. Um, and that's what makes uh, it it's so great. But yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% convinced any of it's going to spill out, <laughs> if I'm right. honest. So do you think it's enough? Because, you know, I know all these platforms are worried about, you know, their high producing creators or their high profile people that are on their platform leaving and going to another platform because of this thing. So do you think stuff like this is to try to keep those, you know, high visibility uh, creators on their platform? They're like, hey, we'll give you these tools if you stick around. Yeah, so YouTube have described this as a mic drop moment, implying that it's a big deal for the artists because they're finally going to get to see the real impact of their content. So, you know, if a creator or an artist was thinking, I'm not really getting much you know, traction on YouTube, and then suddenly they see this and they're like, whoa, I am, it's more likely to keep them on there. But, you know, are people going to leave a platform and give up on it when they've already got like, millions of subscribers right. because there's another opportunity? Probably not. They're just going to repurpose content and, and move it around. So, you know, maybe they are worried about people leaving, but that's me. I don't see why they would. This is great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have any bias there at all. Um, no. <laughs> so uh, because this, in this artist thing, YouTube is grouping artist content by song, device. It's really interesting. You know, how is this going to impact like YouTube search for related content? For example, if I play a Beyonce song on my banjo and put it on YouTube, will my video rank higher because it's the popularity of Beyonce? I mean, I think that, your video will rank higher because you're playing a banjo, <laughs> and a banjo, Joe. Right, well, yeah. I'd, I'd be well up for watching okay, that. Okay, yeah, well, <laughs> in a later date, yeah. It kind of happens already. So, like, you know, okay. if Beyonce releases a track and it's brand new and, you know, no one else has put any content out and people search it, then you're more likely to appear in search as it is. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's a possibility. But, again, it's kind of one of those things that... It's too hard to say. <laughs> well, it's just, it was interesting to me because they, they really broke it down in their press release that they're, you know, grouping artist content by song and device. And I thought, well, that's really interesting how they're saying that. And I mean, like, as soon as I hear that, I'm thinking like, okay, is that going to be a play on search? Like, you know, but uh, yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. What could be quite cool about that, though, is at the moment, so when you go into the copyright 
the Music Copyright Centre on YouTube, mm-hmm. which unfortunately they're getting rid of. You can search for any song in there and it will tell you how you can use it. So it can say that like, you just simply can't use this. You can make a cover of this and you can't. So if they kept that in, that would be super helpful uh, in this case. But but maybe it's a sign that they're pointing towards a similar arrangement like TikTok and and, and yeah. we'll be able to love, yeah, yeah. we'll be able to use people's music in our videos. I mean the music industry right now is really struggling, so they'd probably be up yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. So when are they getting rid of that copyright tool? Because I, I see that as being super helpful. Mm-hmm. Because I think a big question a lot of marketers have is, you know, if I want to film this thing, like, am I going to get in trouble for this music or how do I find the music? And uh, I just won't do video. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, they said they're getting rid of it because no one's using it. But I know they are because they right. see comments about it every day. Right. Right. <laughs> so I don't know why they're getting rid of it. It's kind of annoying because how else are you going to find out, you know, what you might get a, a strike for or, or, or yeah. what's going to yeah. cause a legal issue? Well, speaking yeah. of changes, I mean, uh, YouTube is now doing some stuff that with ads for, you know, creators is kind of interesting, Grace. So, I mean, this is a, a little bit interesting to me how they're they're changing this up. Absolutely. And we were talking about video length, right? So per YouTube's monetization policy right now, currently YouTube enables mid-roll ads on videos that are at least 10 minutes or longer. So if you go on YouTube, uh, it is probably not a surprise that if you look for influencers or you're seeing more influencer videos, they tend to be 10 minutes, right? Exactly. Or a little bit over, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, this last week, YouTube announced on its site that it's changing the eligibility for these mid-roll ads to now longer than eight minutes. So now shorter videos will be eligible for monetization, which is a good thing for creators that are using YouTube for monetization and minimally annoying for those of us that are viewers or those of us (laughs) that are on the channel promoting our own brands, not necessarily looking to use the channel to monetize ourselves, right? So minor note, YouTube did say that it is adding these mid-roll ads automatically, automatically to all videos that are eight minutes in length or longer, even those where creators may not have wanted to add them before. I guess, you know, if you put out an eight-minute video knowing that 10 minutes and you aren't going to get mid-roll ads, you're not expecting it. And they do say that they are going to try to put these ads in natural breaks in your videos. But, you know, what does that even mean, right? Like... I mean, I'm a video watcher and I just sometimes I was like, oh, ads. Um, you know, I'm not a very good marketer, I guess. And so how do you opt out of this particular practice if you don't want ads on your videos across your entire channel? Do you really need to go back and opt out of ads in every single video you have now that is eight minutes or longer? Well, you've got to the 27th of July to not have to do that. So I can tell you right now, if you want to opt out of this, go to your YouTube studio, click on monetization, and then you'll see a great box kind of explaining this. You need to click it, hit preferences, and then set not to auto-enroll. And if you do that, it means you're not going to have to go through and turn off ads on all of your videos. Mm. So, you know, YouTube have said that its software knows, you know, that where best to put these ads but I mean, you know, is there ever a good time to put an ad? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but, you know, I, I work on a yoga um, YouTube channel and it's all yoga classes. So there's no place to put an ad that isn't awful for the right. viewer. And you know, it's bad for the creator too. You know, when I was working on the channel to start off with, the, the ads automatically came on and there was instant complaints. You know, it's, it's, you know, putting ads in the middle of a yoga, you know, a, a peaceful right. yoga workout. Right. So I'd say, you know, think about your channel, think about your content, I personally, I'm not going to turn it on. I don't want mid-roll ads in my videos. 
I just don't like them. So they're not on. You know, I get the creators need a lot. You know, they need cash, and they they do a great service and a great job. But uh, think about your own channel and your own views, experience, and the type of content you're putting out, and how disruptive that could be if you just you know. If you're in the middle of a down dog and an advert comes on. <laughs> so that brings up another question for me. So how do you opt out of this, you know, if you don't want – so for example, let's say I'm Coke and I for, for some reason left the mid-roll ads on. I don't want Pepsi to come in there and have a mid-roll <laughs> ad. Or if I'm like, you know, doing a yoga class, I don't want like, you know, Whataburger cheeseburger coming on in the middle of that either. You know, because that, w- that doesn't go with my audience. So, yeah, are you able to say like I don't want certain brands to come in and be inside of my mid-roll ads? That's kind of down to the advertisers, really. Um, so, you know, you don't really get any say in what pops up. But mm. if you're a good marketer, you know, you're going to be targeting the correct niche and the right building the right audiences to show your ads. So, you know, if you are selling yoga pants you're going to put them on the front (laughs) of a yoga video you know not like a a, a men's wrestling competition video so yeah that's that's more down to the platform itself in doing that i've I've never actually i mean i double checked this because i suddenly thought maybe you can do this because i've never really heard of it but everything Mm -hmm. i was looking at line agreed that yeah you you don't really get any say in what youtube shows You, you just hope the advertisers do a good job yeah so we have a question from Megan. She goes, um, are they paying even the little guy for that ad insertion? She's sorry if you missed that uh, part. If talking, we really didn't talk about that yet, Megan. But um, yeah, so what do you need to have like to monetize for ads if you're like a little guy? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, so you need to have a thousand, over 1,000 subscribers and over 4,000 watch hours in that last period. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they're just going to like the good old days of YouTube where anyone could get some ad revenue, um, you still need to be monetized. Gotcha. Yeah. I guarantee you, if I'm in a yoga class, I'm probably thinking about cheeseburgers half the yes. time as well. So the ads would be, then. <laughs> that, that, that would be a well-targeted ad yes. in my case, right? <laughs> so, okay. It seems that they're making this push to increase their ad inventory, which makes sense, right? So the expansion of the overall ad load here, when you consider some 300,000 hours of video are being uploaded to YouTube on the platform every hour. And now viewership is increased. So do you think that this will impact at all? This increased inventory will impact advertising costs on YouTube. Do you think it'll bring these costs down? Do you think it'll increase? I mean, what can we expect from this move? Yeah, it's actually quite sad Well, they've brought it in. So um, they claimed it's due to, uh, you probably see in the news, a lot of brands at the moment, big brands are pulling all their social media ad spend. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently, um, the ad rates have dropped by nearly fifty percent since February. So it's kind of a solution to try and make some more money because I don't actually know if they had a choice. The idea being, you know, if there's more ads in their content, they're going to bring that fifty percent back up. On the positive side, for advertisers, more advertising space means less competition and cheaper ads. And YouTube ads, are, you know, compared to Facebook, are super cheap anyway. So if you've never done them or, you know, you want to you keep using them, it's actually quite a good time to be advertising on YouTube. Um, so that's, that's a good thing from the advertiser side. Mm. Probably a good time to test things as well, right? Definitely. So yeah. it will, it'll cost less to test things. All right. Next update, YouTube rolled out smart replies. So Google is adding these auto-generated smart replies, which allows creators to do a 
quick response based on machine learning on their YouTube videos, right? So this is something that is available in Spanish and in English right now, and the company is looking to expand it to other uh, languages very soon. It seems very similar to what they have going on with Gmail, with the auto replies. So, Ed, what do you think of this tool? Is this something that you would use in your own videos as far as moderating comments? Do you think do you think this is a good thing or a bad thing? Like, how, do you think it even helps? I mean... Yeah. Well, to start off with, I hated it (laughs) because they came out with it and they said, oh, you know, you can just quickly respond to people by clicking a button and it will say like, yeah, thanks for watching, which is just sucking the fun out of having a creator comment on something you spent time to leave. I just thought it's just going to be a button clicking exercise that a VA is going to do. But they fired up and it's really impressive that the AI like examines what's written and then comes up with an answer that actually looks like you've written it and the responses are so much better than I thought they'd be. And they keep learning from the comments and building this sort of network of replies. So um, sometimes people leave comments and you're kind of like, it's a great comment, I'm glad they did. You know, I don't want to just hit like, I'd like to say something and you just say, thanks, I'm glad you liked it. And it's like, it gets a bit repetitive. What I've actually found is smart replies is improving my vocabulary here. (laughs) (laughs) It's getting more inventive. So I'm enjoying them, but it's still quite nice to customize it a bit because, you know, I think if someone takes time to comment and it's right. a well-thought-out comment, you should, you should give them the time back if you can. Like, you know, massive channels, they don't stand a chance, so it's great. But, yeah, I mean, I'm actually impressed by it. I know it's Gmail has done the same since, like, 2017, and it can be, like, it, it's really very, very helpful. But it's not always expect, effective. I know that when I go back to some people, I'm like, oh, they, they, that's not the right thing to say. So um, you can do can, you know, canned responses a lot of times. Like, I use text edit for a lot of my stuff. But is there something similar that you can have, like, canned responses that you've already plugged in for these YouTube yeah. comments? Okay. So the Google one's slightly different to the YouTube one. They've mm-hmm. made it so it's more formal and more like how you would write an email rather right. than chatty. TubeBuddy, again, is a tool that's had canned responses on YouTube for a while, but I, I really don't think you need them with this. <laughs> okay. so that, they're that good. It's kind of replaced that, that feature, and um, you know, it's helpful as well because it tells you now with a badge if they're a subscriber or if they cool. comment a lot as well. So if you see someone who's a subscriber who comments a lot, you're like, cool, you know, I'm definitely going to give them the time. So I'd, I'd say I, I wouldn't worry about that. The, the smart replies are in, and, and they're very good. Yeah, I heard you can use emojis and all sorts of things, so that's really, really cool. But that does that. They're emojis in the response so yeah that's awesome it's we're gonna type again <laughs> does it pick up on common responses like for instance for this show we get two questions all the time which is is this a recording can i watch it again and then uh you know what platform are you using to broadcast multiple people and if so of course it's like yes this is a recording you can you know come back again or yeah. you know we're yeah. 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 it's a neural network so it will learn um, so you'll probably find that whoever's helping manage the channels might already be using that. Right. I'm, I'm not sure if it's 100% rolled out yet, but I got it a while ago now. And I, I usually get things last. <laughs> so, I, I know Mitch and Jen are just jumping for joy right now in the comments uh, over on YouTube. Yeah. So yeah, so that's I awesome. I made their life easier. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. there's a cool new thing coming out though for YouTube that I didn't even know about until Grace told me about, but it's, it's kind of exciting. And I want to know what Grace is going to do for this actually. Oh, I don't know. It's it's a little bit of fun. Okay, so YouTube is now inviting all of its creators all over the world to participate in a project called Day in the Life 2020. And the day is July 25th. So July 25th, executive producers Ridley Scott, directors Kevin McDonald, and they're inviting the global community on YouTube to create uh, short clips of a day in their life on July 25th. So this is an anniversary. Exactly 10 years ago, they did the exact same project. They're going to be selecting 
you know, select footage, select clips from participants and woven together into this documentary, which will be premiered at the Sundance Film Festival and then again on YouTube on in 2021. So it's just a little bit of fun. You can find out more about this if you're interested in uh, participating on the official YouTube blog. Uh, submissions are open from July 25th to August 2nd, which means you have a week to submit your footage. And you can also go to dayinlife.youtube uh, to find out more. Understandably, there's going to only be a small number of clips that are included in the video, but YouTube did say that they would like to expand it even further and show uh, videos that may not have even made into clip and debut it on their own channel. But of course, they're hoping for significant global participation in this. So at as the professional video creator, do you have some tips for us amateur filmmakers from the pros on how to uh, how to have a bit of fun of this how yeah. to try and get in it yeah. like, last, yeah. i mean 10 years ago it was uh, i think 4500 clips got sent in now it just makes me feel a bit anxious thinking about the editing <laughs> job of that oh my gosh. the stuff that would have come in so right. a bit of a cold sweat going there but yeah I, when i watched it i didn't watch the whole thing i'm not gonna lie i, mean, I sort of skipped through it what they're doing is they're looking for stories There's, stories you know everything in marketing is story-based people love stories so if you want to try and get in it you need to try and film some kind of story it doesn't necessarily mean talking to camera about a story but i'll give you an example there was one clip in it where someone was underwater and an octopus latched onto their arm and they couldn't get it off so you know there's a short story <laughs> there's a bit of tension and it's kind of like oh wow this is cool to see but then you know there's there's more normal stuff with two people just having a conversation in bed so Right now, it's interesting. A lot of the world has been, you know, kept inside for a while. Events aren't happening. And if we look at the original one, you know, there's clips of people looking like they're going to a festival and there's, there's events and there's things going on. So it's going to be quite interesting here. So what I'd, I'd suggest is just look for a story in your everyday life that isn't going to necessarily take you forever to set up and film. Because from what I looked at, a lot of this was kind of phone shot quick you know, right. handheld footage, but think about telling a very, very short story that they can then piece together into a larger video. And that could be relevant to life right now. And, you know, uh, chatting to someone that you miss overseas via a computer, it could be anything like that, but just, just think of story. That's what they'll be after. Gotcha. So, you know, like my day in the life would probably be the same as 10 years ago, which is me glazing eyes glazed over at a computer and monitor and what i know you live, live an exciting life what would your day in the life be same as yours <laughs> do you know what? it's like people like casey neistat they go out and they make these yeah. amazing vlogs i don't yeah. do it before i never leave the house like how am i gonna do this yeah, exactly um, i think that you know bringing tiktok back into it again certainly made the world more creative during lockdown and that inspiration from there might encourage people who haven't done much to suddenly come up with ideas that make not doing much look a lot more fun so i've got a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot more dance moves coming up right. but for, for my own personal life there's a lot of sitting at a computer and it's it's really hard i had to think of this and you know the, the sort of thing <laughs> to come up with i didn't <laughs> See, I know. very boring lives we lead here. i'm just not interested enough yeah. well I, I want to bring up some comments from uh, of course uh, we were talking about the comments auto auto generated on youtube and of course uh, our social media uh, moderators like uh, who runs the our social media team jen she goes ah yes i'm so excited and, and mitch over on youtube goes yes i've been loving it so yes people are loving it here at social media examiner so ed you don't uh, want them to get too good though <laughs> i know you don't want to, you want to oh they're all 
always good. They're both of those guys are they're <laughs> awesome. So, you know, you taught us a little bit about your life today, but where can people find out more about you if they want to connect with you and uh, your services? Yeah, sure. Um, just go to businessfilmbooth.com. Um, it's our production site. We also have a free course on there to teach you how to make videos, write, produce, market them. There's 96 videos in there. Um, we basically aggregated our YouTube content and also our YouTube channel. It's just Business Film Booth um, if you're interested in making videos. And uh, I've just started a, a personal Instagram, which is kind of more business-based, but it's kind of musings around video. And I've got a whopping 40 followers. So <laughs> if anyone would like to come and join me, it's ed.underdog. <laughs> awesome. awesome. So tell us about this calculator that you you wrote, you sent me an email this morning that you, you've created this calculator on the site to help creators. So one of the things that stops businesses making enough content is they kind of want to shoot it themselves, but they start editing it. And what tends to happen is the editing takes forever. And even when they're good and they're experienced, it still could be something that's costing them a lot more than they think, even if you've got someone in the house or even if you're editing your own videos. So I just over the last few weeks built a calculator where you put in, let's say you edit eight videos a month, you put in how much you value your time at, mm. uh, the software you might need, the upgrades and stuff like that. And at the bottom, it will give you how much it costs you to edit your content over a year. And, you know, for people editing eight videos a month, they value their time at $50. You know, by the end of the year, once they've gone through the calculator, they could be looking at $17,000, $18,000 in spend of their time, which is business people and YouTube channels. We need to be looking at, you know, what's, what's a high value task here. So the calculator at the end, it, it will then show you, you know, how much you can save using our editing service, basically. There's the plug. Wow. Um, but it's also quite interesting because it, it puts things into perspective for people at just how expensive editing might be and really they could get a freelancer in even a full-time uh member of the team to take that editing on so they can go and do sort of high value tasks oh that's awesome. ideal yeah very very cool i have to check that out thanks ed so it's much just on the site yeah. yeah we appreciate you as always coming on here and uh, giving us all this youtube knowledge and we will see you next time thanks thanks a bunch thanks guys see you Hi, later thank you Hey, next up, we have Susan Winograd. She is joining us to explore the impact of the California Consumer Privacy Act on Facebook and Instagram targeting. So, of course, we asked her on the show today because she wrote the article in Social Engine Journal uh, that we were referencing. And she also alerted Social Media Examiner of how this law is affecting even our own ads. She is the CMO at AimClear, and it's a holistic digital marketing agency. And she has spent 15 years in the industry with the last 10 primarily focused on paid media and all it entails. And she speaks internationally on marketing strategy and blogs frequently, like we mentioned, for industry publications like Social Media Examiner. Susan, you're back. Awesome. Grace, what's this first piece of news? Well, I'm going to caveat this whole segment with we are not lawyers and we do not take any of the following as legal advice. We are marketers. And so we're looking at this purely from a marketing perspective. So a little bit of background. CCPA was the California uh, Consumer Protection Act. It went into effect earlier this year. They We were given a grace period and, you know, for the first six months of the year to get our ducks in order and comply. And it went into effect uh, at the beginning of July. Right. This new law grants California consumers robust data privacy rights, control over their personal information. It affects how information is collected about them and thereby how they are able to be targeted on platforms like Facebook and Instagram. So 
Susan wrote this article saying that this is causing havoc. So, and it is causing havoc. So please tell us, what is this havoc? What does it mean to us? So it's particularly notable. I mean, I think it's going to affect all the platforms in some way. It kind of depends on how they all decide to handle it. Facebook decided to handle CCPA by essentially not letting any targeting related to California users happen in Facebook and Instagram ads. So needless to say, that kind of threw things into turmoil (laughs) because it's a big chunk of the population. That's data that Facebook was using to optimize to and figure out where to shift money and how to optimize for purchases and all that stuff. And it just all of a sudden vaporized. And so anybody that's made sudden changes in their accounts have seen that the Facebook algorithm doesn't respond well to that. So Facebook basically did that, but they did it across the whole ecosystem. Mm. So you mentioned a large chunk of data. Do we know like what in general, what kind of percentage of California makes up with like the given target audience of Facebook and Instagram? Is there any like, we don't, I mean, when you run, if you break things out by region, you'll usually find that California is in like the top three States. If you're running nationwide population wise, Mm -hmm. you know, some of it kind of, kind of depend on what you're selling. If you have certain, you know, cities excluded or that, that all feeds into it, but it's usually going to be like between the the first and third spot state wise, as far as the population. So it affects a a pretty big chunk and they basically implemented it for all advertisers for the month of July. And the idea is that they're, I guess, ostensibly trying to protect brands from being not in compliance by just shutting it off for everybody while they give them time to get into compliance. It's just for July. They're rolling out this snippet change that you have to make to the Facebook pixel before August 1st to be compliant. Gotcha. So let's say I run Jeff's Burgers here at Longview, Texas. Do Mm -hmm. I need to be worried about any of this if I'm just like going and trying to attract people to my business in my hometown here in Texas? So no, probably not. The thing that local business owners should kind of watch though, is that there are a lot of lawmakers that believe that what we're seeing with California is what's going to be adopted in some form by multiple states. So watching what they do and understanding as the rules become clearer, because there are even a lot of lawyers that are like, we don't know how to interpret this. So it's kind of a mess right now. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, for the burger guy in Longview, Texas, I would watch it more so just so that you kind of know what might be coming. Gotcha. Um, That way, when it happens, it's not such a shock. So the opposite of that. Let's say I'm like Ed, I'm in the UK and I'm like, I, I, but I still get a lot of clients from the United States. Should I just like, like I forget about it. I'm not just, I'm just not going to target California. Is that a so thing So that's actually do? what a lot of people did this month um, because it fixed the algorithm faster to just be like, pretend that that doesn't exist mm-hmm. versus the system trying to account for users that can't track. So a lot of people actually did just turn it off for the month. And it's very similar to what we saw when GDPR started. So when GDPR rolled out, a lot of people in the U.S., they were not compliant and they knew it was going to take them a few weeks to get in place what they needed. So they just stopped running ads overseas. So there is a lot of that going on. It's important for people to remember, though, you know, to see if you even have to qualify or worry about this. There's two criteria. Either you do 25 million a year in revenue or you have 50,000 web visits a year that originate from California consumers. Okay. So those are high thresholds. Those are pretty high thresholds, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, if they create an easy system that you can just kind of do like a WordPress plugin, you might as well just do it. So you're compliant. But right now it's just kind of, 
it's tough for everybody because there's a lot of gray area as far as like what constitutes personal information. You know, Mm -hmm. how should they opt out of it? What's the system that happens when they opt out? Do they have to manually go into their email database and like tag these people or remove them? It's like, you know, it's, it's very vague in some of the language. So it's creating a headache, A, for obviously us on the advertising side, because we're scrambling to try and make up for the issues that we're running into with the buys. But then it's also really tough for brands because it's a very heady piece of legislation and there's a lot of eyes on it. And so it's kind of like, could they get fined? Is there a warning? Is an email address considered personal information? Like there's just not a lot of overt definition around what that is exactly. Right. So last time we had a show, we talked about this new setting in Facebook called limited data use. Yes. Okay. So that was a button that you could toggle and it was on the, you know, your business tools or whatever. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what it does, how it helps and how to implement it? Yeah. So you'll find it in the business manager area and it's it's actually pretty confusing, (laughs) which probably isn't a surprise given that it's Facebook and a lot of things are confusing, but it is this little toggle that goes back and forth. Um, And so basically my understanding of it at this point, based on what I've read from what they want you to implement in the pixel and then the toggle is that the toggle is basically telling Facebook I'm in compliance. So The advice right now is like, don't toggle it unless you're pretty sure you're in compliance. The basic, you know, steps that they're looking for advertisers to do is this limited data usage flag is actually called the LDU. And it's going, it's this little snippet that just goes alongside your existing Facebook pixel. So once you put that in, supposedly at that point, if you are in all other ways compliant, then you can untoggle that. And starting in August, your stuff will start showing to California users again. So this moratorium on California data isn't forever, but I think it's Facebook's attempt to try and help brands protect themselves because the onus in this is not on Facebook. It's on the brands themselves, which is a little scary because for them, they're like, well, we don't know what qualifies as personal information. And so it's this kind of back and forth. So the limited data usage flag is kind of Facebook's way of covering themselves, trying to help cover the brands and then empowering them to be like, yes, I'm in compliance, which kind of leaves Facebook out of that whole equation at that point. Right. Yeah. Cause Facebook doesn't need any more trouble. Um, so they got, their hands <laughs> they, they got a lot of stuff on their plate right now. You mentioned before, like with GDPR, there were some WordPress plugins and stuff like that, that were really helpful. Like when you were trying to be compliant, you're like, okay, I can download this and install it. Are there any other tools that you know of that help businesses comply with CCPA like automatically? You know, I've seen like some people mentioning these one-off ones. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard of like the overriding one that everyone feels comfortable with yet. Like gotcha. there, are, there are, you know, a handful of those for GDPR. I think a lot of it is, I mean, there are ones that claim to do it. I think the part that's hard is because even lawyers, like I've been reading law blogs where it's like, even people that do this for a living, they're like, we don't know what this constitutes. Like there's verbiage in there that they're concerned about. So I think it's been hard to nail down any one plugin. That's a good one to recommend because there's still so much interpretation of the law even happening right now. So gotcha. that's, that's kind of the conundrum that exists for everybody. Do you think that uh, eventually, because like, you know, like Drip and like Lead Pages and ConvertKit, all those things, they made it so it was really easy for their users that they could, you know, it was built into their system. Do you see that happening as well yeah. with CCPA? Yeah, I think they will. Okay. Um, and, you know, with CCPA, it's, you know, opt out 
instead of opt in. Mm -hmm. So instead of kind of like, you know, we see the cookie consents for GDPR saying, yes, I accept the cookies. It's kind of the reverse for CCPA. So it'd be, I, you know, you'd be opting it's the opt in versus opt out thing. So I think that, you know, ultimately it would be very easy for these systems to build that in. Part of it's going to have to deal with the logic of how that person is removed. So for some of these things, like I was reading, one of the details is that if they opt out, you cannot, you know, um, have them opt in or you cannot promote opting in for them for the next 12 months. So it's kind of figuring out how do they know where this person is? How do they get flagged? You know, making sure that there's a a very clear division between business as usual emails. Like if it's like shipping notifications versus marketing ones and just making sure that like all of those timelines are done logically in the system to adhere to all of that stuff. So there's, there's a lot of those little details that I think are just going to take them a bit to work out. But yeah, I think my assumption is probably going to end up boiling down to plugins and then you know, places like Shopify or, you know, any other kind of drip, like some of and any of those platforms, they'll probably have their own in-house system or some app that's going to plug into it to do it for you once they figure out what it needs to do. I mean, I think that's kind of the, the top part right now. Gotcha. So what are you advising your own clients to do? Like, what can we as marketers, advertisers, business owners today do about this, right? Assuming that we haven't already been trying to comply this whole time, which hopefully you have, but if you haven't, you know. I mean, you know, for the month, I mean, a lot of us have said, just turn off the ads while this gets figured out. So for Facebook, it's like, you know, you can technically check off to run it in California, but we have just been excluding it um, from the buys until, you know, they can consult with their lawyer. Um, that's our other advice is please call a lawyer. <laughs> do not ask, do not ask your friendly neighborhood marketer because there are just so many nuances, you know, it's like overall, it looks a lot like GDPR, but there's a lot of differences in, you know, what has to be disclosed, what qualifies as personal information, there's a lot of nuances about it that don't make it exactly like GDPR. So I think the hope had been that if I'm GDPR compliant, you know, will that right. just just translate to CCPA where I don't really have to do anything different. There's verbiage in it that is different. Um, and so, you know, it has, some of it has to do with, you know, whether it's the information is being collected for commerce reasons versus it's just being shared across country borders. Pardon me. Um, so there's some strange nuances like that, that, probably what it'll boil down to is your disclaimers are probably going to have to have some amended verbiage to them. So your privacy policy and that kind of thing will probably have updated terms in it. That should definitely come from a lawyer. Um, And then, you know, it might be different for different types of businesses. You know, it's like for certain businesses that do nothing, but just fire the the page view pixels and they don't collect user information. They don't do any of that. It might be a much simpler, you know, plugin or rollout versus someplace that's, you know, highly CRM focused and it tracks people when they're on the site and feeds it back to the CRM. You know, like those, those things are a lot more complex and there's a lot more information being collected. So understanding the nuances of what's considered personal, what's not, what you can house, what they can opt out of. That's where you definitely need a lawyer to advise you on all that stuff. So Gary over on Facebook asked this. He says, I'm looking for a place to opt out of mid-roll. Oh, this is, um, is this, oh, he's talking about YouTube. I'm sorry. I thought he was talking about um, the where you can opt out. Well, where can people go if they want to, you know, go into this Facebook thing? That's what the question was about. Is there a, is a way that they can turn off California? What's the easiest way? Because I know people are going to ask that question. Way, yeah. The, and not that I, you know, I hate, I always feel bad being like, go turn off stuff in <laughs> right, your ads. It was right. previously working. Yeah. <laughs> But um, if you go into your ad sets, um, you can set up exclusions. So if you have it set up to run worldwide or nationwide or whatever, usually in that little field where it says include and 
you specify the geography. If you hit that include button, it'll drop down and offer you the, offer you the option to exclude. Okay. So if you choose exclude, then you can just type in California. It'll bring it up as the state and you can select that. And then it's the least disruptive way to do it because that way you're not messing with all the optimization for the other states. You still have the account history. You're just getting rid of the thing that's kind of throwing everything off. Right. Awesome. Awesome. So, Susan, this has been a lot to process, and I know things are still coming. I'm not down, there yet. So. Still in the pike. Yeah. So, once again, we are not lawyers. We don't claim to be. But, you know, like Susan gave some great advice. But, Susan, where can people find out more about you, your company, and your services? Yeah, sure. Um, you can look me up on uh, SusanWenegrad.com. All my information is there if you want to see some of the stuff I've done. I've done um, a bunch of stuff for you guys, actually, on your YouTube channel. Right. So, if you're looking at Instagram ads, definitely go look at those. I've written some stuff for you guys there as well. And then on a search engine journal, that's where I have, I think Grace, you had provided the link, but um, there's where you mentioned it. I have a a kind of a write-up of what we know so far about how this whole CCPA thing is working. So if you want more details, you can go there and I link out to some resources from there too. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Susan, for being here today. Tons of great stuff. And I'm sure we'll have you on again. Talk to you later. Talk to you soon. Bye. Yeah, so this was an action-packed day. We've got tons of stuff to process, uh, some really cool stuff coming out with YouTube. Uh, Let us know if you've got that new thing that Ed was talking about, some of those new stats, and that's helping you be a better YouTuber creator. Let us know because we'd love to know how it's working out for you if you enjoy that new uh, window. And then if you're what you're doing for these, you know, Facebook at stuff that's going on with, you know, in California, crazy stuff. But I'm really interested to see how that's going to play out. But Grace, this has been an awesome show as always. It always is. And in case you missed it at the top of the show, today is the last day to save on your ticket for the Instagram Marketing Summit. So do not miss it. If you are looking to improve your presence on Instagram, you're looking to improve your reach, engagement, and your sales. This is the live online event that you will need. So there are 12 12 Instagram experts that will be sharing their proven strategies to help your marketing. And there's not much time left. It is actually starting on Monday and I got my links and uh, everything to sign up. So I am looking forward to participating in well. And if you would like to join us, you can find all that out at socialmediaexaminer.com backslash summit. That's socialmediaexaminer.com summit. So get your tickets today. Yes. And make sure that, you know, this is a podcast as well. We'd love for you guys to subscribe. If you can't make our live show here on Fridays, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play and Spotify. We have new episodes that publish every Saturday. We would love for you to rate and review us there. That helps us out a ton. Our next show is on Friday, July 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn and YouTube and wherever you are. You can find out what we'll be talking about on our weekly show calendar, and you can find out that at socialmediaexaminer.com forward slash live show. That's socialmediaexaminer.com forward slash live show. This has been a great show. Thank you guys so much. All your uh, comments and questions and being interactive with us in the comments. We really appreciate all of you. Thank you so much. And thank you to Ed and Susan for joining us today. And we will see you all next week. Bye now. Bye, everyone. The Social Media Marketing Talk Show is a Social Media Examiner production. For more social media insight, visit socialmediaexaminer.com.
Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.